I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Burrow is a furniture company known for timeless design and thoughtful construction and free shipping. And that extends to their outdoor collection. Their outdoor furniture is built to withstand the elements. Featuring rust-proof stainless steel hardware, weather-ready teak, and quick-dry foam cushions. For Memorial Day, get 15% off your Burrow purchase at burrow.com slash ACAST and up to 25% off outdoor. That's up to 25% off outdoor furniture at burrow.com slash ACAST. Chris is just trying to, he's just trying to fix his headphones right now. He's trying to jam right now. Chris, you jamming? No, I'm just nearly paired with my neighbor's TV by accident. <laughs> It is Thursday, which means it's time for the Front 3 Q&A podcast with me, Adam Boltwood, the man, the myth, the legend, Chris Hennage. Even. And uh, Nico Morales is here as well. Wow, what an intro. <laughs> yeah, I just thought I'd, I'd downplay it for yourself, Nico. Um, guys, we're here to A, your cues. You've been sending them in on Twitter. It's a proper Q&A podcast tonight for the first time in ages. Sexual assault in some countries. Yes, as they say. Uh, not, not actually that much to talk about. There's not much going on in the world of football, I don't think. There's, there's a little bit of transfer talk, I guess we could discuss. We'll get into that uh, on the podcast. But before that, it is Thursday, which means for the first time in a while, it's time for whole of the week. Guys, our favourite review of the week if you want to get involved if you want to be hold of the week all you have to do is click on the link in the description of the podcast get your reviews in on itunes for the front free rate and review the podcast there's actually only one contender this week not many reviews coming in which should be the incentive guys to get involved because john rab from the usa has won the ferrero Rocher this week zero competition with his five-star review on itunes John says, I never miss a podcast. These are super informative and, in my opinion, really improve my knowledge of the game. All the guys bring their own perspective. Great hosts, both Adam and occasionally Lawrence, do a wonderful job moving the podcast along and not allowing the conversation to get stagnant. Keep up the great work and I will keep coming back for more. Smiley face. John Rabb, you've earned yourself a six-pack with Ferrero Rocher there. Get involved on Twitter, DM me or at the front free to uh, to claim those beautiful chocolates let's get into the questions and let's get into the answers though i was still waiting for the alexis sanchez transfer to be confirmed but as far as we all know he is on his way to manchester united the specifics of the deal yet to be finalized is henrik mkhitaryan going the other way probably yes is there a fee involved probably yes what we do know is that the deal is worth a potential 180 million pounds over the course of 4.5 years, according to reports in the British press. That includes the transfer fee, the agent fee, the signing on fee, the wages. It's an extraordinary amount of money. All the talk was a week ago. It was going to be Manchester City who was signing Sanchez. All of a sudden, Manchester United are the favourites now to sign the Chilean. What do you make of this, Nico? It's an interesting one. There's obviously a lot of moving pieces and there's a lot of 
um, aspects to the deal that I think are both negative and positive for Manchester United. So I think the first thing that I kind of thought of when, maybe not the first thing, but as I sort of molded over, um, as I've talked to different people about it, is, you know, they do have very little South American representation in the first 11 at Manchester United. And we know Manchester United's MO. Um, what's his name? I forget. Uh, Woodward said, yeah, Ed Woodward said a couple of years ago in an interview um, that he wanted Manchester United to be the Real Madrid of the Premier League. And in that sense, you know, they were the first, they are a club that's like historically good at being at like in, you know, intruding markets and stuff like that. They were the first into the Asian market with players like Park Ji Sung and, and all the marketing that they did over there. So having a marquee player like Alexis Sanchez from a from sort of that marketing perspective is a very good thing for them. Now, on the field and sort of the the more normal club logistics, I don't know if it's the greatest deal because you're paying what is reported to be $500,000 or 500,000 euros or pounds a week to a player who's 29, hasn't had much rest since like the 2013 uh, summer um, because he, you know, is involved with competitions with Arsenal and Chile every summer. Um, he supposedly causes issues in the dressing room. Um, as I said before, he's, he's quite old. Um, and for a number of years now, as I've said many times on this podcast and why I wasn't too keen on him for uh, joining City, was that he's ruined Arsenal's defensive shape for a couple of years now because of the way that he goes about himself off the ball. And while Jose Mourinho might be able to fix that and he might be able to either implement him in a system where that doesn't affect the team too much or actually convince him to you know, defend properly, um, it's still a bit of a weird one to spend this much money in terms of wages on a player that is going to give you no resale value and really only going to be useful for another two to three years. And that's if Jose Mourinho stays all the way. At 29 years old, I mean, as you mentioned there, there is that that lack of a resale value, but you think he's going to produce the immediate results on the pitch in the near future at the end of this season, next season, in order to, to potentially justify that move. There's talk of Mourinho potentially playing on the right wing, could be the space where he could fit into this side with Martial, with Rashford having that left wing side covered. Yeah, I mean, I'm not going to cast any aspersions out there as a City fan as to you know, saying that he's not a good player. I think he is a really good player, and I think he'll be really successful on the pitch in the second half, even in the second half of the season, I think he'll score tons of goals because I think Jose Mourinho has identified him as a player that he can get the best out of. Um, but like I said before, my issues with the transfer are not so much on the field, at least in the immediate, um, but rather just kind of you know the money and the age and the fact that he has had niggling injuries over the past couple of years. But like I said before, there is a lot of stuff that makes sense here. Another th- thing that I want to throw in there is that you know, in addition to the fact that he will be a major, uh, you know, marketing advantage for Manchester United that are looking to be a global brand. Um, I, I would say this deal also makes sense in the sense that, you know, we all knew that City were in for Sanchez. They wanted another weapon just to, you know, overload everything that they have. And if you can take away a transfer from a rival, maybe not so much this season, but next season for the title, um, I think it's it's another, you know, piece to the puzzle as to why Manchester United would spend. X amount of money of their wage budget on a player who is, as we've talked about, 29 years old. 
What for City then? I mean, how much of a black eye is this losing Sanchez? I mean, it's debatable how much they needed him, as you say. Maybe he could have been another weapon in the Arsenal as they go for this this sort of all-conquering season, be it the Premier League, Champions League, the Cups as well, domestically. I mean, there's a report in the Independent this evening about how Manchester City are planning to press ahead with plans to upgrade their front line in the summer after missing out on Sanchez. According to Jack Pitbrook in the Independent, they want to sign a new first-team winger and a centre-forward with Aguero's future up in the air. I mean, what do you make of that? Do you, do, you, do you buy into that report? Do you think the City do need reinforcements in those areas now that Sanchez isn't coming to the Etihad Stadium? No, not really. I mean, I think for a number of years now, similar to other strikers, Aguero has just been that name that papers kind of push out there because, first of all, because I don't think he, you know, he doesn't speak English very well and his his management team aren't really that quick to respond to these claims. But every time that it has gotten more serious and people have actually continued to ask him press conference after press conference as to what his future is, he always suggests that, you know, I will finish my European career at Manchester City and I will go back to, I think, his boy boyhood club, I think it was Boca Juniors or or one or maybe River Plate um, and finish my, you know, full professional career there. So I don't really think that City need to reinforce in the attacking department, as we were kind of talking about previous to recording. Um, I think the the major areas that City will strengthen, whether it be now in, in January or in the summer, are sort of in, in midfield as a Fernandinho replacement because he has been so key for Manchester City, but he is 32 or 33 years old, and you can't put that many miles on a player in one season and not expect a, a, a little bit of blowback. So players like Jean-Michel Seri, um, at Nice or Fred from Shakhtar Donetsk have mm. been identified, um, and I think those are those are probably the most realistic replacements uh, for for that player. Yeah. What do you make of all this chat, Chris? Uh, there's obviously a lot of discussion around this move. Some saying this Sanchez is going for the money at Man City. He could have had a guaranteed Premier League trophy, but he's going for the wedge. He's going for the bunts with Mourinho. Uh, what, how much do you put in that theory? Um. Not not a huge amount personally, and I say that because I don't look at it from the perspective of where he is going. I look at it at the perspective of where he is leaving, and I really don't think it's a case of he's choosing money over trophies or or what have you, whatever you prescribe Pep Guardiola's benefits to be. I think he's just desperate to leave Arsenal. I think he's become so almost disillusioned and and. I would see even apathetic towards that club now and it's a consistent vicious cycle of maybe a few good wins and then a, a defeat that feeds avo- feels avoidable, etc, cetera, etc. Cetera. And I think he senses that it's falling down a little bit more. And I think he, he's purely thought, you know, I just want to change. And, and if I do it now, you know, it ends what I would consider his nightmare at Arsenal. Um, it gives him a, a fairly decent pay packet as well. Moving in the summer for free would do that. But I think he, he just wants some certainty about his situation now. I think there's perhaps part of him that maybe, be it through himself or his agent, is acting with a bit of self-awareness and accepting that come the summer, there's a chance that maybe those clubs, Man United, Man City, for example, even Chelsea, if you want to consider them a, a viable candidate in this race, will look for players that are younger and can do what he can do. Because... He is 29, and I don't think it matters if you believe he's going to burn out. Um, signing a 29-year-old is, is, I think, pretty much always a risky thing, maybe a goalkeeper aside. 
Um, and so, yeah, I, th- I think he's very much striking while the iron is hot. Of course, there is another factor in this whole Sanchez deal, and that is Arsenal. As Chris has mentioned there, George Douglas writes in on Twitter, would signing Mkhitaryan and Aubameyang make it a successful transfer window for Arsenal, even if Sanchez goes to Manchester United? You can't argue it's been spectacular mismanagement on Arsenal's part to let Sanchez run down his contract as well as Ozil to the point where now Sanchez is leaving for, uh, albeit 30 million, as reports lead us to believe that is a cut price deal. I mean, let's deal with the Mkhitaryan part of this this equation first, Nico. Does that make sense for Arsenal? I think that's a good move if he comes to the Emirates Stadium? Well, as you're saying there, um, I don't think it's as catastrophic a mismanagement if they were to get Mkhitaryan in the return um, and plus some cash. Because for me, I think he is one year younger than Sanchez, which obviously doesn't make a huge difference, but it's not as bad as 29. You know, 28 isn't as bad as 29. Um, but, I, I, you know, a lot of people are saying, you know, they don't – a lot of Arsenal fans are sa- suggesting, you know, they don't really want Mkhitaryan. They'd rather just take a large heap of men- money that they could reinvest elsewhere. But I, I, I think – you know, that's a little disingenuous to the talent of a player like Mkhitaryan just because he hasn't had the best spell at Manchester United under a manager that perhaps didn't know how to use him best or maybe expected a little bit more from him in certain situations where he hasn't been shown to thrive anyways um, is something that has decreased his value. But I think he's a really talented player. And as we've seen over the past couple of weeks, there have been tons of really good articles from both statistics and narrative people that are talking about, you know, how do you replace Alexis Sanchez and presumably uh, Mesut Ozil? And if you have players coming in basically for free plus cash, um, like Mkhitaryan and they're making these sort of deals, then I guess that's kind of how you replace it in the immediacy. The difficulty with that is that, like we're saying, it's a very short-termist view of how Arsenal are going to run because Mkhitaryan is a certain age and they can only depend on him for so long. Um, but I, I really highly rate Mkhitaryan despite his time at Manchester United, and I think he'll be you know, as prolific as he was at Borussia Dortmund if he were to come the other direction. And I think similar about Pierre-Emerick Aubameyang, but yet again, he is, I think, around the same age as those two players, 28 or 29. And although I think he is likely to age gracefully, despite the fact that it paces a large part of his game, he will, you know, it'll it'll be a decent deal for Arsenal in the short term. Now, in the long term, it's a completely different conversation. Can Mkhitaryan fulfill uh, Statman Dave's prediction, though, Nico, at Arsenal? Well, what, 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 what prediction would that be? I believe he he uh, <laughs> he featured a tweet, if I can find it here, because I did screenshot it. I was ready for the band. <laughs> of course you did. Uh, let me uh, let me just find it real quick here. It was a nice old picture. Here we go of Henrik Mkhitaryan in the summer. Mkhitaryan is going to kill it next season. Will beat his best Bundesliga season of goals and assists. Hashtag MUFC. Are that you, may be entirely possible at Arsenal, though. Are you telling me that Stamman Dave made another wrong prediction? Is that what you're saying? Oh, man. Are you the man who's never wrong? It's never been me, Dodge JPEG. Famously. I mean, um, what, what do you reckon, Chris? I mean, is this a good transfer window for Arsenal? Because, of course, it was all doom and gloom. Losing Sanchez, their best player. But at the same time, you know, this is a guy who isn't playing for the club. A guy who's hated by most of the dressing room, by all accounts. It's better to get rid of him, it seems. And bringing in Mkhitaryan, bringing in Aubameyang, albeit Aubameyang, a player himself, who's been suspended, what, three times this season? By Borussia Dortmund for his own, uh, his own misbehaviour. It does feel like it could be a good outcome in the end for Arsenal or is this once again another false dawn almost for the Gunners is this false hope I, th- I think 
to address one thing first, I think Sven Mislintat has given Arsenal assurances that uh, Aubameyang's conduct at Dortmund recently, the suspensions, the, the um, disagreements, if you will, are not in keeping with his character usually. Um, in terms of the, the grander picture with Arsenal, I think it's less about whether it's a false dawn or, or you know, the, the actual um, heralding of a new age at the club. I, th- I think what it does do is show you that there is a certain amount of power being withdrawn from, from Arsene Wenger's uh, scope and purview. I think he he certainly is still um, a decision maker, but I think what you're seeing now is the infrastructure that was placed around him during the course of this season. Mislintat, for example, uh, the, the chap from Barcelona who they, they brought in as well, they're starting to have more of an involvement. Um, by all accounts, Wenger was more in, interested in uh, Anthony Martial, but Manchester United understandably have no desire to get rid of him because he's still incredibly young and there's a ceiling there that I think is is quite enticing, which is perhaps why Wenger wanted him. Um, and I think that's certainly what is, has stuck out to me here is that the new dawn on the pitch, I, I can't necessarily give a huge backing to. I think it improves them definitely because Aubameyang is a very good player. I think Mkhitaryan is a very good player. Those two in my mind, at least work well together as part of a system, um, especially with, with Ozil in there as well. Potentially it makes for an interesting situation, especially if they are going to persist with a, a back three and then they could even mirror Chelsea's uh, formation with a, a front three, if you will, um, of Mkhitaryan, Ozil and, and Aubameyang. But yeah, I think for me, the, the more pressing thing to take away from this is is the evolution of, of Arsenal away from the pitch and, and what they will potentially move into uh, in a few months' time with, with summer 2018. Next question is from John Shin, friend of the show. Uh, Son, Hyungmin Son, is currently the face of Asian footballers around the world. He's our gem in Korea. Do you see Son staying at Spurs in the long run, or do you see him having the potential to move to another club? Would this move be a move up or down the ranking scale? Very interesting question. Um, obviously, Hyungmin Son's become an increasingly important player for Spurs this season, uh, eight goals, four assists for Mauricio Pochettino's side. Uh, he scored in five consecutive home games as well at Wembley. Of course, that equaliser, fantastic equaliser against West Ham. And obviously, he put in a fantastic uh, performance most recently against Everton. Um, as I said, an increasingly important player for Spurs. He's got this reputation of being underrated, but he sort of has... There's so many people who think he's underrated that he's almost rated now, I'd, I'd argue. I mean, what do you make of this, Nico? Because I feel like... He's a player who's drawing attention now, given his end product, given the contribution to Spurs' uh, attacking form in that final third. For me, though, it's not a gap that many Premier League sides have on that sort of left side of the attack. It's somewhere where the likes of Manchester City, Manchester United clubs, who you'd argue could poach from Spurs, they're already well-stocked in that position. Do you think those Spurs could be in danger of losing Sun to a potential European giant, etc.? Or do you think, you know, for me... He's fantastic at Spurs. He's got a lot of room even now for progression, for evolution. And he seems to be at the perfect place under Pochettino at this side. Uh, it's definitely an interesting one. I mean, he's a really gifted player, as you've you've mentioned. There, he is kind of uh, he's kind of an in betweener. He can be a forward, he can be an outside player, and he can even play in the middle. So he's really versatile in his position. He's not that old. Um, I think probably the most interesting aspect of this one will be similar to what I said about um, Sanchez because he is 
as John is mentioning, they're characteristically Asian. And so he does provide uh, an in into those kind of markets. And not just it's not just about selling shirts, obviously. It's about the engagement. And if a particular group of people uh, who isn't normally represented in Premier League clubs feels represented with someone like Spurs, then there's a lot of uh, revenue to be gained from that, a lot of revenue streams to be uh, to be sort of capitalized on. So I think Huang Min Son is a really interesting player for a lot of teams to to poach from Spurs. But at the same time, I think he's one of the players that, as I talk to more and more Tottenham fans, they feel as though there's a certain core uh, group that is kind of sold on this long, long-term project with Mauricio Pochettino. So I think for your sake, as well as Tottenham's, I, I think he'll kind of be around for the long haul. Um, yeah. So yeah, I, I think he'll be there. Um, good to hear. Uh, Matt Brownie Cake, uh, another friend of the show, says, regarding the Chelsea slash Norwich match, Chris, what the VAR is going on with VAR? Uh, obviously some controversy in the FA Cup match. This week, Antonio Conte uh, not happy with the uh, the decision from the video assistant referee against Willian um, with regards to the penalty. I mean, a lot of controversy surrounding this, a lot of criticism. Obviously, there's going to be teething problems implementing this system. Um, my opinion would be that, broadly speaking, anything that can bring more fairness to the game, anything that can sort of eradicate these wildly wrong decisions is a good thing. But at the same time, it does seem to be a little bit of a consternation over it, Chris. I, th- I understand that because I think games like last night are the kind of situation where fans are almost uh, exasperated with, with VAR because it feels as if it's slowing down the game. It doesn't provide uh, the definitive answer that I think they want at the same time. There's a feeling that once you uh, incorporate some kind of uh third party element be it video or, or whatever or being able to review footage that you should get a definitive answer to something and that it should always be right as a consequence because you're able to review it I, I don't think it's that black and white unfortunately there are a number of instances where and I'm sure if you went into to pretty much any pub in in London or, or wherever you would be able to find fans who will still debate a certain incident from years ago that again couldn't be given a conclusion to um I think VAR has its uses, most definitely. I think it's in a slightly more streamlined uh, situation than what it has been thus far. I don't think it should be used for, for everything, but I can see applications for it. And the problem is is that any type of integration like this, it's not terribly dissimilar, I think, to when you are an early adopter of new software on your phone. There will be bugs, there will be kinks that have to be worked out. The problem is, obviously, that you can't necessarily uh, allow for that and also implement it into professional sports at the same time because there's no way you can just test it without it actually encapsulating the pace and all of the other nuances of of Premier League and and high-level football. If you thought the only way to get a more defined jawline with natural-looking results was through surgery, think again. Juvederm Volux XC is a non-surgical injectable gel filler that improves moderate to severe loss of jawline definition and can help you achieve natural-looking results with little downtime. Even better, this improved definition lasts up to one year with optimal treatment. No maintenance required. Improve jawline definition for a smooth, sculpted look with Juvederm Volux XC. For important safety information, 
information and to find a licensed specialist, visit Juvederm.com. That's J-U-V-E-D-E-R-M.com. Not for people with severe allergic reactions, allergies to lidocaine, or the proteins used in Juvederm. Common side effects include injection site redness, swelling, pain, tenderness, firmness, lumps, bumps, bruising, discoloration, or itching. There's a risk of unintentional injection into a blood vessel, which can cause vision abnormalities, blindness, stroke, temporary scabs, or scarring. Talk to a licensed specialist to find out if it's right for you. Burrow is a furniture company known for timeless design and thoughtful construction, and free shipping, and that extends to their outdoor collection. Their outdoor furniture is built to withstand the elements, featuring rust-proof stainless steel hardware, weather-ready teak, and quick-dry foam cushions. For Memorial Day, get 15% off your Burrow purchase at burrow.com slash ACAST and up to 25% off outdoor. That's up to 25% off outdoor furniture at burrow.com slash ACAST. I think the issue is going to be at implementation, as you say. I think there are going to be issues when it's first being brought in, but even watching on TV when it is being used, there does seem to be a sense of confusion about what exactly is going on when it's being used, let alone, you know, when you're actually in the ground when it's being used. I think it's going to be a very... I think it's going to take time, essentially, for people to get used to the system and for it to be to to be used to its maximum efficiency. Um, but it remains to be remains to be seen what happens there. Um, let's move on to talk about. Uh, let me see if I've got a question here. Here we go. We've got a question here from Mediocre Ambition FC. He says, on a serious note, is Tammy Abraham that bad when we have to look at Carroll and Crouch? For English backup strikers, uh, mediocre ambition here is obviously referring to the news that uh, Andy Carroll was a target for Chelsea. He was due for talks over a twenty million pound move to Stamford Bridge. However, an ankle injury has forced him out of action, meaning that that deal is off. Um, naturally, Chelsea are turning to Peter Crouch, uh, Stoke forward, obviously. Uh, a lot of hilarity uh, on Twitter over this one. You know, Arsenal are going for Obama Yang. Manchester United are trying to sign Sanchez. Chelsea, the champions, are going for Peter mm. Crouch, Chris. Uh, obviously, a bit of a surprise. Um, what do you make of this? Does this make sense, given the unreliable <clears throat> goal-scoring form of Alvaro Morata? Is Peter Crouch the answer? Uh, not necessarily. I think, ultimately, Conte wants a different option. He wants someone that can provide, perhaps, a a better aerial presence. And I feel bad saying that because uh, Morata has scored a number of headers this season. I think to answer the person's question about Tammy Abraham, one of the things I believe is inhibiting them calling him back is the fact that there was a loan fee paid. Um, from my understanding, it becomes a lot more complicated to cancel that and, and eradicate all of the things that are involved with that. Because I think ultimately the power sits with the club who have paid the fee Um because, like I said, they've paid a fee to, to take Tammy Abraham on loan. What I do think is is perhaps nestled in there, which is important to consider, is that actually Chelsea have been quite poor in squad management. And, and maybe this relates more to the recruitment team as much as Conte as well. Because you have Ruben Loftus-Cheek, who has gone out on loan, when arguably he could be, and I would say would be doing a better job than uh, Timu Bakayoko this season. Nathaniel Shalabar is injured, so it's unfair to to point to him. Someone pointed to Dom Solanke as well, who obviously didn't get game time, so left. I think he could have been in that squad doing something. And yeah, definitely, Tammy Abraham could and should have stayed at Chelsea this season. Now, 
I appreciate people will point to an element of hindsight in that evaluation, but I think what it points to is the fact that Chelsea haven't been the greatest at implementing or integrating, more importantly, their young players. You look at Andreas Christensen, who, yes, he spent two years on Lorna Gladbach, but could he have possibly done some of that learning in the Chelsea first team? I mean, he, he to me, is a player that has fit in very seamlessly and has shown that actually, you know, playing your kids is something that I think is is going to ultimately give you a reward. And it's quite a strong debate in, in Major League Soccer at the minute, the element of there being a relegation. So can you play your kids more? Should you play your kids more? And a lot of teams aren't. And I think ultimately you have to, to trust your young players at some point. And I think this is the the bridge that Chelsea have forced themselves over with a lot of short-term managerial appointments is that perhaps Emanalo was leading things for a long time, but now his departure to Monaco means that really they're operating on maybe an 18-24 month cycle with coaches in which you, you either don't or won't plan further than that because you don't envisage it being a long-term project. And I think perhaps Chelsea have to implement a structure around that that while allowing the manager to take it in his direction, at least keeps them in the same area in terms of, uh, or on track, sorry, in terms of youth players and their integration in the first team. But does that, re- just to follow up with Chris, does that really work with, with Conte? Because I, I can definitely agree with what you're saying and agree that that probably is the right approach to take. But the, I think the biggest consistency that we've seen with Conte in his managerial career is sort of similar to Jose Mourinho in the sense that if they don't like a player and really maybe this is consistent with all managers if they don't like a player like Michi Batshuayi for example or any number of the players that you rightly mentioned in I think your tweet earlier about you know that Chelsea could have used this season then he's simply not going to use them and he had viable striking options he had you know viable midfield and even defensive options that he could have used at Chelsea's that were at Chelsea's disposal but he has yet to do so so I mean I don't know if that works with Conte I think Conte is the major problem here I I do I do think he's not conducive excuse me to uh implementing youngsters more and again that I think that goes back to the the refining the process of Chelsea picking a manager. Um, one of the things we've discussed about before is the contrast between Arsenal and Chelsea in terms of their goals and and desires. And Arsenal have struggled, you could argue, for being loyal and having a, a long-term vision. Um, but I think that's up for debate. I think, at the same time, Chelsea have benefited from the short-termism of their managerial appointments in the sense that they've always been striving to to win because if they're not winning, they're not doing anything. And that is proved by the fact that they've won the Champions League. They've won uh, Premier Leagues within the, st- the start of this this most recent decade. Um, and I think it now puts them at an interesting impasse because, as, as you allude to there, their a- approach and efforts in securing a number of promising young players um, with a view to sort of training them in-house and putting them into the first team. It has made them money, but at the same time, it has gone at loggerheads with their managerial approach or their approach to hiring managers, excuse me. And that has cost them Kevin De Bruyne. It has cost them Mo Salah. You could argue it's cost them Romelu Lukaku. Three players that now, would I would say, would get into the Chelsea team or at least be within an 18-man squad of it. Um, and I think that's the potential drawback they have is that they haven't been able to, to necessarily find a coach yet who can balance that sort of ferocious desire to win at all costs with 
an eye on the future and an eye on a few months, if not years, down the line for the the first team. It's it's almost planting a tree that you will never see grow. You know, I think there's a, an idiom to that effect or a Chinese saying to that effect. Um, that's essentially what Chelsea need, and and I think yeah, they definitely don't have that with Conte. And uh, and Max Allegri just watches on from the distance, cackling. <laughs> um, David Shanahan asks on the uh, on the crouch topic: uh, Would this go down as the greatest transfer window in recorded history if Chelsea <laughs> signed Peter Crouch, Nico? Hard to top. I mean, sure. I, I think so. I think it probably would. The Surely. only thing that we would need, I think there, there's a reliable Manchester City journalist. I think his name is Sam something. But he was talking about, because obviously I mentioned Fred, the central midfielder from Shakhtar Donetsk, um, being a Manchester City target. Mm-hmm. But someone was suggesting that they would uh, rather sign the striker that they had signed before, the Brazilian Fred. And I think if they both moved this January um, to wherever, that would indeed be the greatest window. I think the greatest window uh, without doubt, is 2011 when I believe Fernando Torres moved to Chelsea on deadline day and Andy Carroll <laughs> weirdly ended up at Liverpool for 35 million from Newcastle at the time. Suarez was there as well. It was just, it was complete madness. There's no way this transfer window is beating that one. I mean, if Peter Crouch signs for Chelsea, if Chelsea paid something like, if Chelsea paid over 5 million for Peter Crouch, maybe so. But uh, nothing's going to be the insanity of 35 million for Andy Carroll. Liverpool paying that was just, even at that time, it was madness. And we all know. Speaking of fantastic know how January that deals, um, you know, I think Liverpool Twitter got very excited last week about a certain Naby Keita supposedly joining Liverpool, only to be thwarted this, um, by the club themselves. This does bring me on to. Um, to uh, a related question um, about Philippe Coutinho. David Shannon again, he's asking, with Liverpool seemingly choosing not to replace Coutinho in this window, will they struggle against teams that sit deep with the lack of creativity in midfield? Uh, I think they wanted to bring that Piquetta in earlier uh, to potentially bring that element uh, to the to the middle of the park for them. Obviously, it didn't work out. Leipzig announcing that he was staying until the end of the season. I mean, what do you make, Nico? Because obviously we saw Liverpool take advantage of, of Manchester City to an extent, a team who, who who like to attack. There were spaces there for Liverpool to to exploit. With teams sitting deeper, though, which you'd expect with uh, with teams further down the table, are Liverpool going to be able to have that key to unlock them without Coutinho? Do you think they're going to be able to 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 break down teams at Anfield and elsewhere? Well, you know, the Manchester City games aren't the problem for Liverpool with with players like Philippe Coutinho and Naby Keita not being there. It's it's the Burnleys, it's the Crystal Palaces of the world that they need to worry about because, you know, and I know you guys probably talked about it on the pod earlier this week, but their performance at Manchester City was perfect and that's entire pretty much entirely down to Klopp and his ability to get his message through to the players. Now, as you're mentioning there, they will struggle um, to some extent, breaking down teams that are going to take a more compact approach to them. But at the same time, and this has shown through in the analytics for the past two years, the way that Liverpool creates space by creating transition, which is equally as volatile um, for them as, as much as, as it is the opponent, uh, is, is kind of how they like to create space. So I don't think they'll struggle as much as, say, maybe a Tottenham Hotspur that take a more possession-dominant approach what? that are massively sort of uh, underperforming their expected points or expected goals um, because they are creating a lot of chances against those kind of teams. But at the same time, you know, I think 
it will be it, it'll still be difficult, but they won't struggle as much as those teams because they create space and they kind of create chances for themselves in different ways than teams are going to dominate the ball. Hmm. Interesting. Uh, Lig Bora, Chris, uh, is asking, we are seeing the usual managerial America round again this season, Moyes, Pardew, Big Sam, etc. Who have all previously done good jobs at certain clubs? What did Stokes see from Paul Lambert that warranted him getting a Premier League job? Hashtag the Front Free Podcast. Uh, what do you make of that, Chris? Uh, has Paul Lambert got the minerals to, uh, to succeed at Stoke where Mark Hughes didn't? Um, <laughs> I just think of Graham Wesley when you say it like that. Um, you quote about him saying that his kids don't call him dad, they call him medal winner. Um, in terms of, of Paul Lambert, he's had a bit of a curious career because obviously he left Colchester having done a good job there um, and went to Norwich. I think actually after stuffing Norwich, uh, I think it was 7 1 or something, and did a really good job getting them back to back promotions. Um, his villa side, from everything I can remember, were quite a turgid side to watch. Um, and a similar scenario with Blackburn and also Wolves. I think what he will theoretically do is give them a little bit more defensive uh, stability. Because one of the things about that Stoke side is it has Jordan Shakiri, it has Chupo Morting. Those two, to me, stand out as potential match winners. Um what Stoke lacked for my money going into to Christmas and the final days of Mark Hughes was two serviceable fullbacks, which they've since got, I think, in Bauer and, uh, oh, his name is escaping me, the Greek fellow from uh, Augsburg, Stefalidis, I think it is pronounced. Yeah. Um, so th- there's an improvement there already. The difficulty... I have when I watch Stoke is that I also think their midfield needs a bit of work. I don't think Darren Fletcher is cutting it anymore. So whether he can get someone in, you know, that will will be an interesting thing to watch. Um, I I genuinely think that you learn a significant amount from Paul Lambert and what to expect from him with Stoke this weekend. Because I think you have to remember that he's been out of the spotlight of the Premier League for a, a few years now. You're looking at what, 2015, I think it was, when he when he called time on uh, his, his association with Villa. That's a long period in which he could reinvent himself. I remember Alan Pardew, uh, after being sacked by Southampton, went on a little tour of Germany. And while it didn't reinvent him per se, it certainly taught him a few things that you saw implemented into his next position. Um, and so I'm almost a little bit wary of, of prejudging him entirely but you can't at the same time, I think, ignore the the latter stages of, of his CV as a manager. Mm. Um, another question here from Piotr Gala, long-time listener at Peter the Polish, says, assuming Aubameyang's exit, who should Dortmund sign as a replacement? What other signings should Dortmund make? But perhaps most importantly, Nico, uh, what did Dortmund need to do to get back on track after such a tumultuous first half of the season? Is a squad overhaul necessary this summer? What'd you make of it, It's an interesting one. I was talking to uh, a fellow Borussia, or not a fellow Borussia Dortmund supporter, but a Borussia Dortmund supporter um, that was kind of mulling over a the fellow the guy, a fellow guy, um, and he was kind of 
talking with me about the Aubameyang chance transfer, and I think generally the fans want to see um, Alexander Isak given more of a chance, but he's actually just gone out on loan to another Bundesliga club. So I think whether it be the club's intention to make him the full starter is still, you know, kind of remains to be seen. Um, but I think to answer the second question, getting in a, a viable replacement and not really rushing. Um, who they put in as manager in, in, in sort of a panicky way is kind of key for them. And I think it's been very difficult for Borussia Dortmund to cope over the past couple of years because of everything that has happened. They had a vision a couple of years ago when they appointed Thomas Tuchel, and that hasn't happened. A lot of the key parts, including the man himself um, and several other key players, have left. But if there's any club that can come through that, I think on the other side, just fine is, is Borussia Dortmund. So I'm not going to pretend as, as if I know who they should appoint. Um, I'm sure there are plenty of good people out there that know, you know, the, the managerial game far more, far better than I do. But I think given the, the, the management of the club over the past couple of years, I think after the summer, they'll, they'll probably be fine. A final serious question is from uh, Sam Nash here, Chris. Uh, will MLS ever implement a relegation slash promotion system that we see on this side of the ocean, considering how many teams there will be in the league over the next couple of years via new franchises? Is that a possibility, Chris? Relegation promotion in MLS? No, not anytime soon. That simple, is it? Um, we've got a question here from James, who said, what do we think about Theo Walcott? to Everton, £20 million deal, Chris. Uh, is it a good signing for them? Obviously a player who, well, I mean, arguably, did he ever reach his potential at Arsenal? Was that his ceiling? Is it a good signing under Sam Allardyce? Is he going to thrive in that system? What would you make of this move? Yeah, I, I know they have Aaron Lennon in the squad, um, but I do think that, that Walcott gives them the pace that they missed. Um, I always think I always think back to his goal in the Champions League against Liverpool, uh, where he basically raced from one end. Actually, excuse me, it wasn't his goal. His assist, where he raced from one end of the field and set up Adebayo. Um, and to, to me, that's sort of the, the best of Theo Walcott, is carrying the ball, shifting through the gears, exploiting space. I don't think he achieved his potential. And I think to a certain extent, some of the blame has to go to... Arsene Wenger um, and and as a consequence English football because I think we have this very weird um, rela- weird relationship with the the different levels of the game and I think once Theo Walcott had advanced into the Southampton first team and signed for Arsenal that was it he never went back and I think that's almost the problem is that in the vernacular we think of going back as being a bad thing as if it's a demotion rather than you're actually taking a moment to assess and learn. And and Glenn Hoddle made this same point that there are a lot of aspects of the the mental side of the game that Theo Walcott just doesn't look well versed in as if he hasn't been taught or, or trained in how to do. And I think that's because when you're a first team player, you're not going to get as much dedicated time as if you're working with, let's say, an under 23s coach and under 18s coach who necessarily isn't focused on winning um, and, and securing titles as much as developing players for the team. And I think that we need to develop a more fluid relationship with the different stages in our football clubs and even international teams so that we can allow players to to go to go to 
the 18s, the 23s, and learn and be taught and not just expect them to pick every single facet of the game up on the job playing week in, week out. Because there are some things that just won't come naturally and maybe you won't learn and can actually be easily rectified with five minutes on the coaching field and a couple of cones and, and, a, and a well-placed coach who knows what they're doing. There's a very serious question here from uh, Jack Maggi, Nico, who said, um, how many pizzas can you eat in an hour? Um, I mean, how long is pizza? Pizza trip? what? Pizza. Pizza. Mm. How in many an pi- hour. Yeah, I mean, how long is pizza drinking? It depends how big the pizzas are. Is it a small pizza, medium, large? Surely it's only one large. It's pretty depends carby. how hungry I am. Yeah, I mean, it's pretty carby. A whole pizza. Imagine a large pizza, like a 13-inch pizza. I've, eat, I've eaten a whole pizza. Yeah, one, though. You can't, that's it. That's the answer, right? How many pizzas can you eat in an hour? One. Like, I've eaten, I want to say, like, six or seven in, like, an hour. Pizzas, not like slices. No, 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 no. Pizzas, slices. No, no, slices. Yeah, yeah this slices. the Jack saying pizzas. Full stop. Like pizzas. Full, full pizzas. stop. Yeah, one pizza. Yeah. I mean, it's a uh, it's a boring answer. One point five. It's like it makes sense. One, one and a half pieces. Jesus Christ, Chris, could I've you done eat, it. could you eat no. more than one and a half pieces in an hour? No, no. Despite yeah. what you might believe, one's the max. Um. Before we go, uh, Chris, we should probably talk a little bit about the uh, the Newcastle United takeover or lack thereof. Uh, I mean, what's going on with this? It, it all seems to have fallen apart in the last week or so. Mike Ashley seemingly uh, putting a statement out that there is no offer on the table. Amanda Staveley seemingly suggesting through the press that there is an offer of £250 million. Pounds. We're not sure if that's short of what Ashley wants. The report was there was three hundred fifty million. He was demanding. Is this all just falling apart now? Is it, this is never going to happen? Yeah. So, so in essence, um, there was talk that a bid was made in November. The, the latest, as I understand it, is that they are involved in a bit of he said, she said, in which Mike Ashley claims there was never actually a bid. Amanda Stavley claims that there was a written bid submitted to Mike Ashley's lawyers. Um, and a number of different journalists and members of the press have sort of stood up what either side has said, as you can imagine, because they probably have sources who they have no reason to distrust. I think what sticks out to me is that while I'm loath and possibly don't even fully believe Mike Ashley, I can't help but shake the feeling that this situation mirrors the one that she um endured with Liverpool in which she talked of making a bid there was a story I think in the National which is a Middle Eastern paper that said there was a bid made only for Tom Werner of Liverpool to come out and deny that and I think from speaking to people with knowledge of that situation um, to get all cloak and dagger for a second they have painted her as someone that while somewhat well connected at one stage who did help facilitate the sale of Manchester City as sort of a broker, if you will. Um, she is a bit of a tyre kicker at the same time and that there's been issues in the past with her when she's made grandiose promises but not been able to deliver. Um, and I think that's where I'm at with it now. She's given an interview to The Times, which will be coming out Friday. Um, that, to me, I don't think will dispel any of the concerns I have because, if, if anything... Um, I'm inclined to think that when you look at some of the the recent takeovers that have happened, West Brom, for example, um, Wolves in the in the Championship, there's not really a lot of media speculation around them. They happen quite quickly, quite efficiently for the most part, and and without much 
of a stir in the press because that's not usually how these businesses and, and organisations like to do it. So the fact that Newcastle have had this protracted bordering on soap opera play out in the press does make me question the validity of the person trying to buy the club because you would think, if anything, they would want to keep any discussion about the potential of, of a Premier League club being for sale as quiet as possible as not to alert any potential rivals or even stoke up some potential interest. To finish then, a few what I like to call uh, podcast maintenance questions. Quite a few questions coming in uh, about the front three. Uh, first off, at Left Footed asking, why does Adam host the pod once every two weeks? Uh, great question, at Left Footed. Uh, the truth is, recently I got a nine-to-five job. I got a proper job full-time employment which has made my ability to uh, to be free to record to podcast a little less flexible than it perhaps once was uh, unfortunately i should say which also leads on to a question from sam atkins i mean you'll be hearing a lot about this project you will be hearing a lot about this in the coming weeks and months i should say um but that does lead us on to a question from sam atkins who says where's dave um dave is a very busy man dave's got a youtube channel going on he's got a lot of different projects on the go and unfortunately he can only really sort of recording the day, whereas myself now with this job can only record in the evening. There's five of us involved in the front three. We're all trying to sort of move ourselves around, be as flexible as possible, try and sketch it. It's very difficult at times, but we're trying as best we can to get at least three people together every episode to get a podcast out. Um, Stepin Alex says, can you please make sure Dave is part of the front three? Lawrence and Kirsten have done a sterling job. It would be good to have Dave's presence. I'm not sure who Kirsten is, but um, a good question nonetheless. Um, there's also a question here about you, Nico. Uh, let me try and find it here. Uh, where is it? D108 says, when is Nico Morales going to start a YouTube channel? Also, what is up with the front free YouTube channel? First off, Nico, when are you starting a YouTube channel? The people want to know. Oh, in the coming days. Coming days? Coming that days. soon? In the coming days, Adam. <laughs> so mysterious. Um, as for the front free YouTube channel, there's a relevant question here from uh, Shane as well, who says, "Should I unsubscribe?" One in, one in the same. In the coming days. <laughs> yeah, same thing. Uh, Shane says, "Should I unsubscribe from the front free YouTube channel?" Shane, you'd be mad to unsubscribe from the front free YouTube channel. Stay subscribed. Um, can't promise any video content coming anytime soon. Like I say, we're all very busy at the moment. We're all very, very busy men. But um, yeah, you wouldn't want to subscribe. You wouldn't want to unsubscribe now, would you? You want to just just keep it there. See what happens. Let's see what happens. It's like a nice little sentimental thing. Like yeah. every time you scroll past it, you can be like, I remember those good times when they used to yeah, upload. Yeah. We did we did videos. You never know. You might just get a surprise in your subscription box one day soon. There might be a video popping up. There might be this. There might be that. Just um, Adam's favorite chat line. That. Yeah. Tell 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 us tell us people who are listening if you're interested in a daily life of Nico vlog. I'll upload those. I'll just record it on my iPhone. <laughs> yes. Record me eating sandwiches. I'd be That'll pretty be interested you. in that. To be fair. Just, All right. Well, I'll do that then. That's life. what's coming in 2018. Your there you life go. In beautiful land. I enjoy that very much. Um, Guys, thank you so much for your questions. We answered as many as we could there. Um, some really interesting ones. Thank you again to our whole of the week. John Rab, do slide into them DMs at Adam Bubble or at the front free to claim your Ferrero Rocher. And guys, remember, you could be in with a chance of wearing, winning those beautiful chocolates. Uh, all you have to do is rate and review the front free on iTunes. The link is in the description of this very podcast. Until Monday, when we're going to be back with a weekend review, as always, Chris, where can the whole, where can the listeners find you? 
they can find me at K Hennage. At K Hennage. Uh, Nico, where can they find you when you're not uh, vlogging your day eating sandwiches? Uh, in the frozen tundra that is Orlando. Yeah, very cold, famously cold there. Uh, guys, you can find me at Adam Boltwood. You can also find us all at the front free until Monday. Have a bloody great weekend. Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings. From premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts, start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. 